0: Hey, good evening, everyone. I'm broadcasting live, March 14th. Today's quote is from the Pachalayamana Sutta. It's from the Anguttara Nikaya. It's really a pretty neat sutta first and foremost because of the practical advice it gives on dealing with drowsiness which we all deal with in our meditation practice especially when on a meditation course and so the buddha gives a list of eight ways to deal with drowsiness it's in the Anguttara book of sevens so (laughs) only the first seven are considered to be actually dealing with the problem we'll see what the eighth is but the sutta has more than just that so we'll go through everything in the sutta So this is, uh, we have to understand that this is before, this is about Moggallana, who was the second chief disciple of the Buddha. The two chief disciples were Sariputta and Moggallana. Sariputta was known for his wisdom, and Moggallana was known for his uh, mental powers, so he had a lot of um he was he claimed the claim is that he had a lot of supernormal powers ability to fly through the air and change his form and do all sorts of magical things that maybe he did maybe he didn't but that's what he's famous for he's also actually less famous um though important for um, a couple of discourses at least one that i can think of there's the anumana sutta the inference discourse on inference that is actually quite important um, where he's teaching monks it's um, tradition that sariputta would uh, sariputta and Moggallana were thought of as mother and nurse to the monks, so Sariputta would give birth to them by leading them up to become sotapanas. so so giving them their first um, birth as enlightened beings, and then Moggallana would raise them up to become arahants. so they worked together, Sariputta would do the first work of uh, giving birth to them, and Mogalana would raise them so they were they were and they were friends before they became monks there's a long story about these two monks that you can actually find this the life of Sariputta and the life of Mogalana. I think online very much worth reading but it's important this sutta actually takes place before Mogala before their enlightenment after they had become monks but before they had become enlightened <laughs> So the Buddha was dwelling among the Bhagas, bhagas at Sun Sumaragira in the deer park at Vesakalagro. Grove. Moggallana was sitting dozing. He was staying at Kalawala Mutta the village of Kalawala Mutta, among the Magadans. And the Buddha saw through his magical powers that Moggallana was was dozing, and so he sent forth a image of himself, or actually he teleported himself to Moggallana. Maybe that didn't happen. I don't know. Many people, I think, are skeptical of such things. But at any rate, he came to Moggallana and said to him, asked him. Pachalasi, he said. Patchalaasi, no, Twang Mogalana. Pachalayasi no, Twang Mogalana. Are you nodding, Mogalana? Are you nodding? A Wang he replied. Yes, Venerable Sir. It is so, Venerable Sir. And he said, then, then the Buddha gave him eight, eight methods which, you know, uh, good for all of us. If you're nodding, if you're feeling drowsy when you meditate, you should do one of seven things. First of all, the first thing you should do is you should stop attending to the object you were attending to when you became drowsy. So figure out what it was that you were focusing on um, when you became drowsy and switch that. So maybe you were focusing on the body you can instead focus on the mind maybe you were focusing on the feelings you can instead focus on the dhammas you can switch yeah. because there are it is possible that your meditation object is making you drowsy and so you want to stay awake so you find another object but if that doesn't work then uh, there are a series of ways that you can, you can uh, change gears. Because often you find that you get into a rut. The, the, falling asleep is interesting because the body uh, gets into uh, a, a gear, a rut. And sometimes all it takes is switching gears and suddenly you're awake. Like, you know, when you suddenly have a shock and you're suddenly totally awake well how did that happen you you were tired and suddenly the tired disappears this is actually how the body works it seems Uh, if you can switch gears suddenly you'll have energy so there are ways to do this Uh, one way is to consider the dhamma think about the buddhist teaching so uh, uh, have to have some time to reflect upon the four foundations of mindfulness or the three characteristics or <coughs> you think about the eightfold noble path or the four noble truths think about the dhamma because sometimes that wakes you up sometimes that excites you or, or gives you energy or reminds you uh, sets your mind back on the right track but if that doesn't work you should recite the dhamma now this one is really powerful <coughs> and it's a good reason to learn chanting you learn to chant the dhamma like chanting, even just praise of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha—they're good qualities. Iti It's sort of, you know, it's along the lines actually of of why people sing when they're driving. They'll sing along with the radio, and it keeps them awake um, because it's exciting. No. But um, even more powerful is for for a person who is who, who uh, appreciates the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha is to recite the Buddha, sort praise of the Buddha or his teachings. or Not praise, but uh, remember the good qualities, reflect on the good qualities. Or just recite the Dhamma, whatever Dhamma you know, recite verses or suttas. All of that is very good because not only does the act of doing it uh, excite you and wake you up but uh, also the content is inspiring and that makes it a really good tool for waking you up if that doesn't work then the Buddha says you should pull both ears and rub your limbs with your hands this is a physical means but actually quite practical here if that doesn't work you should get up rub your eyes with water look in all directions look up at the stars and try and wake yourself up maybe take a deep breath and uh, wake yourself up that way if that doesn't work you should attend to the perception of light this is an interesting one that I studied and I'm not still not quite sure what it means but there's the idea of uh, convincing yourself that it's day that it's the middle of the day you know close your eyes maybe and imagine it's the middle it's midday somehow and it may may involve magic or, or mental power um, create a creative visualization of some sort, where you actually, because in meditation you'll sometimes feel, you'll sometimes see light. Um, you sometimes have your eyes closed and feel like it's the sun is shining down on you, and you open your eyes and there's no light. So it's possible to enter into that state and that that perception of light, which is maybe what this means. Number seven is really useful as well. If you feel drowsy, you should get up and walk do walking meditation. Undertake the practice of walking back and forth. And in such, by such means, it is possible that your drowsiness will be abandoned. Now that's seven ways. The eighth way, if none of that works, then you should lie down. Because sometimes when you're drowsy, you have to sleep. So then you should lie down and be mindful. But this, this is interesting because it gives a description of the best way to sleep. And this is, first of all, the posture is to lie on your side with one leg on top of the other, one foot overlapping the other. And uh, keep in mind the idea of waking up, the idea of getting up, the idea of standing up. So you lie down to sleep thinking about when you're going to wake up. And the idea here is that you sleep only what you need and you'll wake up quickly because as soon as your mind has the chance to be alert, it'll wake up. it will say, okay, now I'm going to get up. So you lie down, not actually wanting to go to sleep, but you you, uh, surrender yourself to the fact that maybe you will fall asleep. And so you lie there, you do lying meditation, you do rising, falling, watching the stomach. And then when you fall asleep, as soon as you wake up, you get up. When you awaken, you get up quickly, thinking, I will not be intent in the, on the pleasure of rest, the pleasure of sloth, the pleasure of sleep. Naseya na napasya sukham, na Anuyutto viharisami. I will not dwell attached to the happiness of sleeping, the happiness of of lying and maybe lying on one's back. The sukang the this the pleasure of laziness and that ends that part of well that ends our quote right i think um, and that part of the is then done But the sutta doesn't end there. It actually has some important advice because he goes on, kind of thinking, I guess, while I'm here, I better give Moggallana some, some more advice on, on how he's going to be, how he should progress. And so he gives some useful advice that's worth worth relating. He says, "You should train yourself. We will not approach families for alms with a head swollen with pride." Yes, I mean maybe doesn't have much interest for people who don't go on alms, but for those of us that do, that's an important point. Is that you sometimes go in expecting food or worrying about who's going to give you food and being dejected when people don't give you food? And so it's just a this is quite a practical sutta. He's giving a reminder. You know, he says people, you know, the family sometimes they're they're busy sometimes they forget because they're just so busy with other things and so it's one of the things about being a monk, it's one of the great aspects of the practice of monasticism is that uh, you really don't know what you're gonna eat or, or how you're gonna survive from day to day and some days you don't survive very well and so you have to put up with difficulty it's really a wonderful I mean. It's, I think most people would find it horrific, but it's really quite wonderful when you're forced to, to deal with uncertainty and you're relying on people's charity, right? And, and um, I mean, it's not only is that, very, is that humbling in the sense that you're really, uh, you're not even doing anything for these people. You, know, you sometimes question whether you deserve it, deserve their support of course we can talk about why that why you might be okay with that you know taking it because these people you're taking it on behalf of the Buddha right and then moreover you're taking it because you are practicing in a good way and people respect that and then when you have practiced in a good way you're taking it because well in some way you kind of are deserving of people's support for the good thing that you've accomplished but um right off track um just the, the issues of going on alms probably not worth going too much into because don't imagine much of my audience goes on alms but um relating to humility relating to uh, patience it's a it's an example of how we should deal with people and all <laughs> all of us should deal with people you know we this is an exa- this is a uh, description of a monastic livelihood how a, mo- how a monk stays alive but how m- most people stay alive is they have to go to work and they still have to deal with people who have various issues that end up causing stress and suffering so you have to deal with people who are maybe arrogant your boss or your co-workers your employees, your customers Um, and then you have to deal with people who act inexplicably Um, and if you're not mindful of the fact that these people have issues as well and that's why they're acting in ways that upset us it's easy to uh, lose perspective it's important to keep perspective and remember this is what this paragraph is saying Don't forget that people have lives of their own and everyone's dealing with issues. We often expect too much of other people and we think, why are they they acting that way? When in fact, it's because they're just as messed up as we are. Well, they've got their issues as well. Okay, so after that, he says, we will not, the Buddha says, you should train yourself less. We will not engage in contentious talk. Another important one, don't sit around and bicker and argue and insult each other and gossip about each other and say nasty things about other people or so. Because when, you, when there's contentious talk, there's an excess of words. When there's an excess of words, one becomes restless. When there's restlessness, one's, one loses one's restraint the mind of one without strain, restraint is far from concentration a really good quote we will not speak speech that is divisive or contentious probably not contentious quarrelsome, that's a better translation because viga hikaya mogalana kataya sati, when there is contentious talk, kata bahulang batikang without doubt there will be lots of talk. Kata bahule sati. The word sati here doesn't is related to mindfulness. It's a different different word that just happens to be spelled the same. Language. When there is kata bahule sati. When there is kata, kata bahula, muchness of talk, Udatchang, there will be Udatcha, which is restlessness. Udatasa When there is uh, distraction, there will be asangvara, non, asangwara non restraint. We will not guard our senses because we're too busy talking. And we're too distracted. The mind will be far from samadhi. <coughs> I don't... Mogulana, I don't praise all. I don't praise all you know, bonding with everyone. No, I don't praise all company, all uh, society. Nor do I praise bonding or... Nor do I praise society with no one. I do not praise society with householders and monastics unless it gives a clever thing I do not praise associating with householders and monastic but I do praise associating with quiet and noiseless lodgings so what is the company that the Buddha prefers us to have? company of empty places company of quiet and noiseless lodgings the Buddha was so awesome his teachings are very rich kind of just a clever actually somewhat humorous if you look at it that way <laughs> I don't phrase associating with and hanging out with uh, other recklesses, other other sorts of or other other uh recklesses, I, I guess. Oh, oh or only people, right? Yani whatever whatever dwellings there are that are of little sound, Sani of little busyness maybe. Ningosa shouting We Janavatani which have an atmosphere of solitude Manusara Manusara Hasayakani which are far from humans Rupani, which are the sort of being secluded. It is with such senasana, with such dwellings that I encourage you to associate with. Those should be your companions. Companions should be, you should think of your secluded place. For many of us, that might be our bedroom. Uh, if you have a spot in the forest you can say hello spot in the forest and that will be your that will be your companion what else do they say oh and then the venerable Mogalana asks the buddha Briefly, Bante. Kitavatanuko Bante bikusankite. How, in what way, Venerable Sir, is a biku briefly or or quickly or by, in summary, tanha sankaya vimutto? How does one become free from the the freedom and complete destruction or through complete destruction of craving Ajanta complete extinction Ajanta Yoga Kema through the absolute freedom from bondage Achanta Brahmachari the completion of the holy life the uh, the
1: ultimate
0: consummation no the ultimate ending ultimate ending how does one reach the ultimate in brief so he's, hes I guess he's a little bit uh, stuck in his practice. He's drowsing off probably because his mind is not focused in the right way. So he wants some advice on how to how to uh, focus himself. And why I'm going through this is because this next quote is actually quite important. It's—it's it's a very good general quote. The Buddha says. Ida Mogalana Bikuno Sutanghoti. Here Mogalana Abiku has hurt us. na Lang Abiniwe Saya. This is a quote that we should all remember because the Buddha says, here a monk has heard. This is this is enough. So sabbang dhamang abhijanati. He uh comes to know all dhammas, or knows all knows fully all dhammas. when one knows this this is what you have to learn this is the truth that we have to learn so even just hearing this is the door this is this is the knowledge that you need prior to practicing is this and, it, and this is talking about uh, learned knowledge so it's not something you've understood for yourself if you want to know when you start to practice what should you know intellectually what should you understand about the practice intellectually what is the claim that you should be aware of that you're investigating and this is that claim all dhammas are not worth clinging to and by all dhammas it means um, including nibbana including practice everything no dhamma is worth clinging to insofar as one has heard thus sabi dhamma lang, or once one has heard thus then they come to know all dhammas Sabangdam sabangdamang abhinyaya when they have come to know and, and by know here means actually know through experience. Abhijanati, abhi means in a higher sense, janati. Janati means he knows. Abhijanati means to know in a higher sense. So from experience, from meditation. Sabangdamang Abinyaya, having known through experience all dhammas. Sabang damang parijanati, which is interesting because pari is parijanati is, is well it says your nose for certain because pari means all around. Nose completely maybe is what you can say. Sabhangamang parinyaya having known for certain all dhammas, yang kinchi vedanang whatever vedana, whatever feeling. He experiences Sukangwa Dukangwa, Adukkama Sukangwa. Whether it be happy feeling, pleasant feeling, an unpleasant feeling, or a neutral feeling. So tasu viharati. He, in regards to those feelings, dwells seeing impermanence. This is deep teaching. So that first part, it was really important because it's general and it's something we should keep in mind. But this is more specific and and, and useful, it gives a description of how our meditation processes. So once you start to practice based on this idea of not clinging, so once you start to be objective, which is what we do when we remind ourselves, saying to ourselves, pain, pain, you're trying to see the, the experience fully, you see. People criticize this practice. Why are you focusing on the pain? Why are you focusing on the problem? Why not calm the mind, find a way to be free from it? Look at what the Buddha said. Uh, Abhijanati, parijanati. You have to know this thing. This is a Dhamma. and You have to know it thoroughly. You have to know it completely. You have to know it in a higher sense. Fully understand it. And when you do that, then uh, you see the impermanence of it. You see that uh, the, it's not you who fixes it. It's not you who... Uh, it, it's not you who... It's not um, trying to fix it that 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 solves the problem because it's unsure. It's uncertain. Is it going to go? Is it going to stay? It's not up to you. It's not based on your desire. It's impermanent. And the same goes with... I mean, more importantly, I guess with the things that you cling to, the things that you want. So you want to be with, free from pain, for example, that's impermanent. And you start to see that all the things that we cling to, all the pleasures, all the, the things happinesses, they're not real happiness because you start to see that the things you want, the things you like are unstable. But but still so it goes with happy feelings, it goes with painful feelings, it goes with neutral feelings. They're all uncertain, and you start to see that. And it's it, important, or it's essential, because that is the answer. Once you see the inconstancy of these things, you can see that the the, the uh, uncertainty, the instability, the unreliability. Then you your mind inclines away from. Them. That's what he's gonna say next, right? Weraga nupasi becomes. Uh, disenchanted so the desire for them the desire to fix it disappears the desire to keep it if it's a happy feeling disappears desire to acquire pleasant feelings disappears you see enough of that (inaudible) Niroda nupasi viyati Dwell seeing the cessation (inaudible) pati nisagha nupasi so this is, they start to incline away from, but in guys, is, is uh, disinclination. You let go. Letting go, you know, people talk about just let go, you learn to let go, that kind of thing. You don't learn to let go. Not exact. not directly. You learn the truth about things. You learn impermanence. impermanent suffering, non-self. You learn the nature of things as not amenable to your control or your domination or, or your... Ownership and once you see that the letting go happens by itself So tasu vedanasu anicca nu viraga When seeing all of this na kinchilo ke upadiyati. This is actually a quote also in the uh, Satipatthana Sutta He doesn't cling to anything in the world. na kinchilo ke The cha isn't here I wonder if it is in the variant. Yeah, in other verse, versions. It's It just means end. And he doesn't cling, he or she doesn't cling to anything in the world. Not clinging to anything, he or she doesn't burn, doesn't become, does it mean burn? Tasati I think means burn, no, I'm not sure. Is not uh, tormented not being disturbed, not being tormented by these things because they torment us, right? If pain torments you if you're worried about it, if you're fussing about it, if you're if you're concerned about it, you know, and this involves trying to fix it. Every time you try to run away from the pain, try to chase away the pain, you hate it more. You get more averse to it and you build up aversion. But when you l- let go of it, you don't suffer because of it. You can be in great pain and you won't suffer. Mm-hmm. Same goes with happy Happy feelings torment us when we're chasing them we want them and constantly you get them while you want them again. You want them more and more and more and more. and, you, and You're tormented even neutral feelings you want to be calm well you have to work at it and they're tormented by working again and again for the same calm that doesn't last and doesn't stick and so giving them up is the way to find true peace and when you when you find that peace when you when you're no longer disturbed by these things you become fully freed for yourself and then you say or you know you know you know fully destroy this birth Usitang Brahmacharya, lived is the holy life. Katang karniyang, done is what needs to be done. Done is what should be done. There is nothing further here. There's nothing more than this. This is the end. That's the goal. So this is a description of someone who has found the goal. So you talk about goals, you talk about what is the purpose of life? What is the goal? This, according to Buddhism, is the goal. You have found something that is goal-worthy. In other words, it's not something you attain, and then you say, well, now what? There is no now, now what? That's the goal. Kina jati, no more birth. Lived is the holy life. You've, you've lived the holy life. You've found the way to be truly holy, truly spiritual. The really enlightened, You've done what should be done. This is, you found that which really we all should do in truth, not just according to someone's idea, but what in absolute fact should be done. It's something that it's a should, um, but it's a, you know it's a should in the sense that it's consistent. We want to be happy. There's no one who doesn't really want. There's no one really that doesn't want to be happy. And this is the way that makes you happy. There's no one who doesn't want to be free from suffering. This is the way to be free from suffering. So it's should in that sense. It's should in the sense of uh, being consistent in terms of uh, in line with one's desires. There's nothing further. And that's actually a fairly common Uh, passage, the Buddha giving this again and again, he'll give this sequence you turn away and then you let go and then you're free once you're free, you know I'm free this is a short exposition or in brief exposition, how one becomes free through the complete letting go of craving complete destruction of craving, the ultimate end, the ultimate freedom from bondage, the ultimate holy life, the ultimate ending, seto Deva vamanu becomes the greatest among gods and humans. So, that's, so, uh, for tonight, what is, what is then Moggallana? No, it doesn't say what Mahamogulanda responds, but we can assume he's actually quite uh, pleased. That's the Dhamma for tonight. Now I'm posting a link to the Hangout. If anybody has questions, you're welcome to come on. But you got to be brave. You got to be brave enough to show your face on the Hangout. The only other way you can, if you really want to, talk then uh, there's a requirement that you undertake a a daily meditation practice you have to be doing meditation in our tradition at least an hour a day and then i'll take you through a course of meditation and we meet once a week so for those of you who haven't found out about this and are interested you can go to the meet page meditation.sarimongolo.org and on the meet page, there are quite a few available slots. We still have thirteen people signed up. Uh, I was actually talking to someone yesterday who seemed to think they had signed up, but I think for the I don't really know because they're not on the list. And then they called me while I was doing meditation at seven thirty, and. I'm debating back and forth, but I told them, you know, I'm doing meditation now. And it's, I've started my timer and everyone's all concerned that I'm actually meditating. So I figure I should actually, you know, there's a debate here whether you should, whether it's proper to um, accept when anyone tries to get a hold of you, you know, do what you can for them or whether it's proper to concern yourself with your own schedule I think it's as I was saying I think it's it can be important to not make it too easy for for people to get access you know because what I'm seeing lately is there's less appreciation you know people calling me up on the phone anonymously and not telling me their names and asking me questions that are not related to the goal um, that kind of thing is happening on the other hand, I've had some really good um, meetings today a lot of people cry when I talk <laughs> which is heartwarming, I mean it's, it's funny because you know, you make people cry, which is on the face, not a good thing, but talked with someone today who's going through some fairly serious issues emotionally I mean they said you know I've got it really good and you know I I'm not suffering I'm not being abused or anything but but a lot of emotional issues with family and that kind of thing didn't really go into it in detail which is of course not important but um Wanted to learn how to meditate, so I sat there and and explained to them how to meditate. Um, but the crying came when we when I started we started talking about emotions and and looking looking at them, you know, not not trying to avoid them, and, and that's a pretty emotional time when when you actually feel like you're given the opportunity to experience your emotions, to let them out. It's quite freeing and so this person started crying and then we we talked some more and then we did a half we did well probably about 15-20 minutes maybe not even that much maybe 15 minutes of meditation together oh and they skipped their class the the shocking thing was they were they took they were supposed to have a class but they said uh, she said that you know, she knew she'd go to class and she just wouldn't be able to focus, she wouldn't be able to put her energy because she was just at a point where, um, let's see. anyway, I don't know if I want to get into details with people's personal lives, otherwise, they find out and they're like, That was told in confidence, but, um, no, I'm not giving personal details, and it's important that, um, uh, you know, we we appreciate such people and their problems, and it's heartwarming to be able to help. So that at the end, she was she said she felt better. And one thing I always feel when I talk, you know take this time with the time with these people is I'm not ever sure if they're going to follow through with it. I don't. Some of these people I never see again. Some of them I do, um, but. Uh, on the other hand, it's, it's kind of amazing how you know, years later you might hear from someone or you don't hear from them. Um, but uh, I guess if you don't hear from them, you don't know. But there is a, a suspicion that a lot of people just go off and um, have their life improved because there's a lot of people who say that, you know, for, for all the negative comments that i you know, that we, I get, or I guess anyone in this position might get there's so many positive comments and they're far outweigh the negative it's a funny phenomenon on the internet, people always focus on the negative so you write a post and you get a um, hundred positive responses and then you get one negative response mm-hmm. And you say, "Oh no, everyone hates me." It's easy to focus on the negative, but but what I meant by this was, it's encouraging how much positive there is. People, and just you know, just one person saying, "Wow, your videos have really helped me and you know, improved my life in this way and that way." I mean, is that not worth it? Does that not make it a good thing? We are talking with today with this person who I was talking to. Um, the question was about helping people because she, like me, is the sort of person who likes to help people or has always wanted to help people. I said, well, you know, the real reason to help people, first off, is because it's the right thing to do. You shouldn't help people really because as a goal, because there's always more people to help. I mean, if that's your goal, you're... Not really doing much and moreover helping others is not really how it works you have to if you don't help yourself if they don't help themselves the, mm-hmm. the, the, the solution the solution is not to help others or to have others help you the solution is to help yourself so teaching others to help yourself but the only way you can teach others to help yourself is if you actually know how to help yourself and therefore are helping yourself so helping others is much more about being the right thing to do, and how it how it impacts your life. When you help others, it makes you feel happy. It makes you feel confident. It makes you feel good. It gives strength to your mind. I got a couple of people on my hangout. Who are you guys? I don't know either. Of
2: you. Uh, you probably know me as Chan from the meditation forum. Sorry, my volume's low. Say that again. You probably know me as Booby Trap from the meditation form.
0: As who? Booby Trap. <laughs> oh
2: yeah.
1: Huh. And Hi, I, uh, I. This is uh, I'm Felix from uh, London. Actually, I, I just found out uh, the meditation link. Actually, this yesterday. And hmm. I was I, I saw I've seen a uh, few of your YouTube clips in the past, but. Uh, just, just found it by, a, by accident. Uh, the reason, just uh, recently, I, um, I, I've been started meditating quite, uh, back uh, quite a lot. And one, one thing came to my curiosity. The thought that one thought came to my curiosity that it never, I never thought as a question. You know, I, I have a. One wondering question that I would like to know regarding uh, Buddhism. Um, uh, sorry, I haven't introduced fully really myself. Actually, <laughs> I, I originally I am from Burma. Mm, I'm But I live in, in London now. Mingala Ming Mingala yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I found you last night, you're watching your thoughts uh, replay uh, YouTube clip. It's kind of very hard to uh, among teaching about Theravada uh, Buddhism, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate of your knowledge and your your uh, of Dharma. Okay. Um, uh, so I, I don't know how what is appropriate. Is it could could I ask a question that uh, that I, I would like to ask actually to. The question is to any any monk, you know, someone who, who could a literate monk who can be able to answer it. I was mm. hoping that probably you you might be able to answer it.
0: I can answer it, whether it's a good answer or not.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, sh- uh, the question is uh, like this, um, uh As a as a Buddhist, Buddhist, you know, our goal is to achieve nirvana, right? Mm. Um, let's say one being, if he or she attained like once once in a nirvana by practicing vipatana, that means he is like a thought. He attained like a thought of the mag. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, that's correct. Um, and what what would happen to that being? Let's say if he if he pass away after he attained thought of the mag. Mm-hmm. As an in, in, after next life, uh, next, uh, next next life, whatever he may be, a human or I don't know, they were they were whatever in his next life. How would the person know he is what he is achieving his previous life? Or well, he wouldn't would,
0: know. They wouldn't necessarily. A sotapanna wouldn't. I mean, mostly they would. Mostly they're going to be born in heaven. And they're born Upapadika, right? So Upapadika which means they're born immediately. And so there's no nine months in the womb, there's no losing of one's memories. There's no obscurity. There's it's yeah. in so yes, I,
1: I, I have read that uh, in, in the past in somewhere in a book.
0: Angels that. remember everything. But if they're born as a human, they may not remember. It's not necessary to remember. The necessary thing the important thing is that a sotapana has, has has broken. It's like a if you have a dam, you know, a dam with that keeps water in. Yes. It's like the dam is broken. It's cracked. That crack is never going to be fixed. You can't fix it anymore. So they've cracked, and it's only a matter of time before the dam bursts. So their whole their, their whole being, is, or maybe another way of looking at it is is um, you know if you if uh, if you lose a limb. Yeah. A Sotopana is like someone who has lost a limb, and that limb is not coming back. Um, or, or it's even more extreme than that. They've lost most of their suffering. You know, most of their ability to suffer is gone. And, and so that, that aspect of their being is that the root of that is gone. Maybe you could look, you look at it like that it's the root. Uh, you have many trees, and so some of them have been uprooted.
1: Yes, so, correct. So that, I, I understood that that one. So my, born uh, as a human
0: being, they they, they may not remember their sotapana, but they can't kill. They can't steal. That okay, part of them yes. is gone. The yes. the part that would lead them to do that is is uprooted. It's it's no longer a part of who they are. There's not it's not even not not there.
1: So in, that, in in this second life, in, assuming that he is reborn as a human life, then mm-hmm. if he practices like a vipatana in this life again, when he attains second time as a nibbana, it's, it's going to be the diagony right?
0: Not so necessarily. How, what... uh, next time, see, because there's the attainment of fruition. A sotapana, um, technically it's the same. It is, but it's... You see, the Sakatagami is only a technical. Sodapati and Sakatagami are just technical, they're like landmarks. Each time you realize nibbana, it's just pala samapati. Yeah. But it's it's making you more pure until yeah. it makes you so pure that you get to what to the point where you could only be reborn one more time and that's Takadagami or Sakatagami, right? Uh, but that's just a landmark. The next time you experience it, you probably still be a sotapanna, and you experience nibbana many, many times, and eventually become sakadagami. And you experience enough times from there, it become anagami. But it's not usually one time. It depends on the person. Some people it's very quick, like Sariputta and so on. They went through all four very quickly. That can happen, but for most people, it's many, many, many times.
1: Yes, for for that being, will he know if he if he if he or she, uh, my my my, <laughs> what I was uh, think is assuming that he might be he might have attained nibbana in his past life, mm-hmm. and in this life, if he with vipassana again, mm-hmm. and assuming he attained because he would be starting from from patthagami Pala, right, mm. for, for or make you know his his. Uh, 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 in this life, so if he carry on practicing vipassana second time, if he attained or purify his defilements, then how do he you know that is he attain that that He
0: may not know. He may not know. Oh, yeah. okay. No, and that's true even in this life. A sotapanna in this life may not. When you become sotapanna, you may not know your are sotapanna. A paccaka Buddha. Um, I don't know about that, actually. But Jacob Buddha probably knows that they have done, accomplished something. But even there, there's a sense that they, there are many things they don't know. But definitely, um, I guess I'd want to say that an Arahant is pretty clear what they've done, what they've
1: accomplished. Yes. and an 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 probably... Yeah.
0: Even an yes. Anagami probably pretty clear. But an, an Arahant knows what they... But, but, you know, if you're reborn, and, and, and suppose you're reborn where there's no Buddhists around, right? As you say, they may not know. They may not have words for it. And Arahant may be like, wow, you know, I'm free from you know, all defilements. But, you know, they may not even use those words. They say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm totally free, totally pure. They might just know it like that. They might not yeah. n- know the word Arahant or Anagami or, or Nibbana or anything. That's possible. It's unlikely. you know it's more likely that they're born closer to Buddhists and you know have access because of the, the direction their mind is heading, but it's not necessary. Yes. Now it's only a Buddha that really has knowledge of all these things. Yes. The rest of us we get knowledge from the Buddha. a lot of our, background information is from in you know, ability to express what we've experienced comes from the buddha it doesn't come from our experience you know we couldn't express these things in so many words unless we had the buddha's teaching to to rely upon so what we just talked about tonight is more what they feel that Musitang Brahmacharyang I've I've lived a pure life, katang and I've done what needs to be done. There is nothing further from here. They'll know that. That's what an arahant knows. Now Sotapanna probably doesn't know things nearly as clearly. They get a sense something happened and something's different. But yes. it's not clear what that is. Even Sakadagami is not so clear. Good questions.
1: <laughs> Sorry about asking, like, a, a question that problem. because I've never thought about it, you know, this thing before. Uh, mm. uh, I was, obviously, I'm, I'm a, I was a Buddhist, you know, since I was my family background. I, I'm originally I'm from Burma, so uh, I was born as a Buddhist but uh, i the, i have never the being i'm not following even though as a buddhist you know i don't approach to uh, how can i say not very religious you know mm-hmm. as in the sense that not going to the monastery or something like that you know but mm-hmm. uh, i grew up you know uh, all the buddhist buddhist knowledge to me came from through the books you know i read through mm-hmm. the books one around I was teenage Quite a long time ago.
0: (laughs) Well, still, better than most of us. You've got the background.
1: Yes. Um, Actually, I found out, you know, um, a lot of uh, uh, there's a Buddhist society or like a knowledge, you know, you can read through online. I will share it on the meditation side.
0: Yeah, there's some good Regarding, regarding
1: Theravada Buddhism, you know, like a Tibetan uh, hmm. and all the books in English, I'm reading back through, you know, what I found. it now, because now that I'm in England, and...
0: Right. <laughs> well, glad to have you. Welcome. We Thank practice, you. Uh, are, you, are you aware, would we, the meditation that we practice at this site?
1: Yes, I, 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 I've been looking through through Seattle mm-hmm. uh technique is. Um, uh, I have read about his, you know, books in the past mm-hmm. while I was mm-hmm. in Burma a long time ago. You can ha-
0: you have access to the Burmese, no? Yes,
1: correct. Yeah. But not 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 that not that all the books are books are with me. I was lucky mm-hmm. enough, you know, uh, I I received all those books because of my father, you know, like a. For the inheritance, I would say.
0: <laughs> there's even you. Do you know this Burmese Dhamma site that has all sorts of talks by Sayadaws in Burmese, like like MP3 files? Yes, they do have. Like yes, Dhamma well. Download, I think it's called, or something.
1: Yes. There's some correct. in English,
0: but but so much in Burmese, and.
1: Yeah, there's a lot in Burmese. I noticed that too. Yes, uh, correct.
0: So you're very lucky to have that. I was living with a Burmese nun, um, you know, for many years. She she was we, we were working together. In many different places and so I showed her on the computer and, and I actually downloaded many of these talks and she would just sit there and listen to all these and she was so happy because in Thailand she didn't have access to the we're living in Thailand so she didn't
1: have access So,
0: yes uh, she was very happy to have those
1: yes correct sometimes you know Tama uh, is like you know even though like you said you know I'm from Bombay. sometimes I realize even my close family, like my you know, and or, or other friends, some Burmese people, they the way they see Buddhism is not deeply or you know as you know that sure. they should be. Yeah. No, you really need uh,
0: you need something to trigger trigger it. Yes, correct. Yeah, but all of that is is like the soil and it's very good you know living in such societies it's very easy for people to there was a Thai monk who said this he said you know yeah many people don't have proper understanding of Buddhism or appreciation of Buddhism but the bridge is there they can cross the bridge anytime they want it's very easy for them because they've prepared themselves it's like they're the soil they've prepared the soil all they have to do is plant the seed because the soil is good he was saying this in regards to a, a cult in Thailand that developed non-Buddhist Dhamma, so that they said Nibbana is Atta, Nibbana is self, um, and other things that are contrary to the Dhamma. And he said this, the problem here is they're burning the bridges, so it's kind of like they destroy the soil, they, they poison the soil. When you poison the soil, you can't plant the seed." So the problem we have in the West, I think, is we're trying to plant it in sand. (laughs) We don't have the soil. In Buddhist countries, you have a good soil. Most people, good soil. And this is why meditation is very easy to teach in those countries. Like I found in Thailand, um, when you do teach meditation, you get really good results. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. that
1: I can appreciate.
0: Yes. It's just a matter of getting people to meditate, but it, you know really good result. Not quite to say, I mean, it's not to say in the West we're, we're hopeless, because in fact there are many good qualities in non-Buddhist societies, and you can find people like that, but you also get people who, who have a hard time. A lot of us have a hard time meditating because we don't have the soil. Uh, a lot of Buddhist teachers say things like, you know, Westerners don't have the the morality the generosity the uh, you know the, the basic qualities of goodness you know goodness is is not held in such high esteem even in religions that talk about goodness their focus is usually on something else like in christianity they talk about goodness but their focus is on god not good uh, yeah uh, in another religion similar so goodness is talked about but never central in buddhism goodness is central because we don't talk about god or buddha we talk mostly about punya what do you say in burmese what do you say pinya your is the word pinya
1: pinya you mean you mean the wisdom right the... no
0: that's pa- banya. Uh, punya do you know
1: pu- punya
0: pu- punya punya you say punya okay yes punya Anyway, nice to meet you. Michael, did you have a question?
2: I did. um, It's kind of a good segue um, about reconstituting a more um, uh, regular meditation practice that I've kind of unfortunately fallen out of a bit. I hear you. Yeah, I was doing it um, very regularly. Uh, like three plus times a day, and then there was about a month or so where I just kind of stopped. And I really don't have any reason for it, but I've been getting back into it and um, yeah. finding it somewhat challenging.
0: Well, the thing about meditation is you can start anytime, and you have to start all the time. So you just have to do it. That's kind of what I was thinking. Sorry?
2: kind of what I was thinking you would say be more just kind of strict with myself
0: maybe, maybe not I mean you can't force it and you can't, it doesn't help to really set regimens because it's impermanent you know, you're you're meditating now or you're not Mm -hmm. I think when when we start to you have to start looking at it in a different way because if you force yourself to meditate it may not be as fruitful as if you Try to let it become natural to you. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, it's good to do a, a, a daily practice, but as far as sustaining that, I mean, there are artificial ways of sustaining it. If you do a course with me, then uh, that's a big part of it. Is not so much the knowledge that I give you, but um, just the the pressure. <laughs> well, I better do it an hour a day because I, you know, he's not gonna. Happy with me if I don't. That can, I mean, it's not even quite that, but just that. It's why, why learning in school is so much easier than learning on your own. I was trying to learn language, languages. I was trying to do studies on my own and without a teacher. You know, without a teacher pushing you. Mm. It's much, much more difficult. So psychologically, having a teacher is quite useful.
2: You think doing something like a retreat like that is a good way to maybe kickstart. Back into
0: a regular. Well, if if you're doing this technique, another th- aspect of that is, what I teach to the public is just the very first step. We don't give you 90% of it. 90% of it you have to get through a course, and I give you a new exercise every day.
2: Hmm.
0: So um, you know, in this tradition, really everyone in our forum should be going through this course if they're keen on continuing in this tradition. Okay really everyone should to should, should do that and you know the, I like the requirement of you doing one hour a day because that filters out people who maybe aren't serious you've really got to be keen on this You know, are you gonna put up and do an hour a day um, but you know it's not I don't think that's an onerous task in the end by the end of the course I want you to be up to two hours a day which is also still not that onerous but it is quite a commitment
2: well, and see, that's where I was
0: um, before. You know, the sure, but you were you were only doing the first step, right? Stepping right, stepping left, rising, falling. Right. Yeah. That's only the very beginning of the practice. So, um, I would say it starts to lose its. I mean, it, to some to some extent, it it loses its power as you get better at it because you're you're not challenged so much anymore. So you find it much easier to continue if you had more steps. I think.
2: I should look into that then.
0: Mm. It's spring break coming
2: up next week, so no, that'd
0: be a perfect you opportunity. You just need an hour a day. Yeah, it's one of those things where you know you have the time to do it, you just don't do it. You know, do a course, and you'll you'll make time. Yeah. See, the psychology of having a teacher—it's quite powerful. Yeah. Are you feeling better? Better, not a hundred percent. We're talking about it in class today. One of my classmates, she's at least my age, probably older, but we both have uh, this sickness,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, and it's weird. Getting hot flashes and dizziness and tired. It's been two weeks already, which is a long time for sickness. And resting doesn't seem to help, meditation doesn't seem to help. You maybe think something like that. I, I told this to, her, to the other person and she said, well, you know, not resting, not meditating probably make it worse. <laughs> it's probably helping to keep it from getting worse. What if it's something like mono? or uh, Mono. Mononuclear. Yeah. I think it's just a flu. Some, she was saying someone was had this for six weeks or something. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> That's lots of fun. <laughs> Good meditation object. Yeah. It makes school work a little bit challenging, but I was trying to explain my thesis to, to our teacher's assistant today, and I, just, I said, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm brain to catch up.
2: You're still going over the uh, Lotus Sutra? Sorry you are going over the Lotus Sutra so
0: yeah Yeah, and she asked me um, Whether I was going to Rely upon secondary source opinions or whether I was going to try to give my own opinion I said no no I know the. I know not to give my own opinions I know I've been burnt by that before I said if I was going to write the essay from my point of view. I would be with uh, the word I, I would be uh, What was the word I used? Strongly uh, uh, critic, not critical, but worse than critical. Can't remember what the word I used. (laughs) Yeah, I would be quite, uh, quite negative about it. Not impressed. And I think a point has to be made that the Lotus Sutra goes beyond the Mahayana. Uh, Quite interesting to me. The Mahayana was the idea of it being better to become a Buddha, which the Theravada agrees with. We'll agree that becoming a Buddha is far, far superior. It's just that, you know, we don't believe that most people can or should. Can is maybe debatable, but should you know it's just not necessary. Especially now that we have the Buddha's teaching. The Buddha did this so people could become enlightened and then to say, No, let's not, you know, walk through the door that was opened for us. It's mm-hmm. kind of Well what happens when next time someone becomes a Buddha? They're gonna say the same thing, and what was it all for? Okay. <laughs> what is it to become a Buddha if you're expecting everybody else to become Buddhist? No one's listening to me. It does seem uh, a little self insistent. A, bl- a little what a little what? Self-insistent,
2: and I think you actually said a bit sophistic as well. Sophistic, uh,
0: yeah. Um, but the Lotus Sutra, so so anyway, that's an argument we can have, and we can, you know, we can appreciate the Mahayana to that extent. Anyone who wants to become a Buddha should be appreciated. But what I don't appreciate, the Lotus Sutra, I don't really appreciate. I'm sorry for all those millions of people who, who <laughs> look at it as a very very important text. I don't. Um, I see that. It, it goes further and says, you have to become a Buddha, and the Buddha was lying. And it says, no, it's not a lie, it's not a lie, but, you know, what they're saying is, telling something that is saying something that is not true, in this instance, is not a lie. That's basically what they're saying. Uh, and they expand the idea of expedient means to include what we would call immoral acts, lying. You know, that Lying is somehow proper. And they say, it's not lying. And, and then they explain how it's not lying. And if you look at their explanation, you say, well, you know, that is lying. <laughs> it might be a white lie, if you want to call it that. Um, so the idea that, that becoming an Arahant or a paticca Buddha is, is, is not real. It was just an expedient means. The Buddha was tricking us so that we would get out of the fire. But a really interesting, I don't know, picking it apart is kind of interesting. Uh, what I'm focusing on in my essay, though, is how the text has been adapted, and how its adaptations are what's made it famous, not the actual content or purpose of the sutra. Because the Lotus Sutra that was directed towards Indian Buddhists who needed to be convinced, or or, or uh, had an idea that there were three vehicles, and so it's saying you know, there's only one vehicle now. That argument is lost on East Asian Buddhists, who, who, for whom the Lotus Sutra is so important. Uh, You know, nowadays I suppose it isn't, but at the time it wouldn't have made, wouldn't have resonated in the same way because while they didn't have the three vehicles, there wasn't a deeply ingrained sense of that. So the focus in East Asian Buddhism is much more on um, the, well. In general, it's always been much more on the inspirational aspects of this sutta, if you recite it, it will lead you to the pure land. So that led to pure land Buddhism, that it will get you everything you want, and so that led to Nichiren Buddhism. I mean, not exactly, and they're, they would be harshly critical of what I just said because they would say, no, no, they're focusing on the wisdom in the sutta. I just argue that there's not much wisdom in the sutta. Yeah, yeah, there's some nice sayings, but they're few and far between. It's mostly just self aggrandizing, self appreciatory, yeah. self praising. The Lotus Sutra so great, the Lotus Sutra so great. Well, what is the Lotus Sutra? <laughs> it spends ninety percent of its time praising itself and warning against anyone who denigrates it. So I'm going to hell because <laughs> because I don't appreciate the Lotus Sutra. I mean, it's to for someone, and I was talking about this in class today. Uh, as someone who who considers themselves following an Indian mainstream Indian Buddhist tradition, I am the audience to to a great extent, except for the fact that I'm a Westerner in modern society, modern Western society, grown up there. You know, insofar as I'm a a uh, Theravada Buddhist monk. I am the audience of the Lotus Sutra, or, or I am part of the audience. So my impression of it is actually what the the expected, you know, sort of dialogue. You know, I I see it. I would think a lot clearer than people who follow East Asian Buddhism and who see it through the lens of so, such reinterpretation because they don't have the background in you know the original text that this text was addressing I look at it and I say oh yeah I know what they're doing there, I, oh I see, they're, they're appropriating this this concept they actually quote, you know, so the, bhagava the, the reciting the qualities of the Buddha, it's actually in the Lotus Sutra verbatim, they just copied it in and then they go on and, and adapt it and talk about what else the Buddha was um, I mean, it's really, it's so, because a lot of it is, you know, you, you, I know the tradition that it comes from, I, I'm very familiar with the tradition that this grew out of, um, but it's so, it's like it took, it, it it's took, the, took the, it took sort of the inspirational aspects of, of mainstream Buddhism and cubed them. You know, it just exponentially took it to a whole other order of magnitude. And so Uh you've got exaggerations of the Buddha. These Buddhas stick their tongue out because the Buddha said to have a long tongue, that he could touch his nose or even his ears, I I, I don't know. But these Buddhas stuck their tongue out all the way to the Brahma realm and held them out for 10,000 years or 1,000 years, 1,000 years maybe, and you're wondering what that, what, what, what. <laughs> I mean, and they will all be interpreted. They will have, in East Asia, and this is sort of what I'm looking at, is the interpretations. But, and okay, maybe that is a passage that is supposed to be interpreted, because I can't figure it out for the life of me. <laughs> well, sticking your tongue out for a thousand years, why is this in a Buddhist sutta in the first place? <laughs> so if you're going to interpret that, if there's an interpretation, and there probably is, Maybe that passage actually has. There's one passage that I really like from the Lotus Sutra that I have to admit is pretty awesome. Um, You know, kind of awesome. It's not a teaching that I would promote, but I I kind of think you know that's noble, and it's well well said as well. It's um, if you want to teach the Lotus Sutra, you have to wear the Buddha's robe. uh, There's three things: wear the Buddha's robe, sit on the Buddha's throne and one other thing that I can't remember and so that sounds kind of terrible you know but what it means and then it explains what it means by that wearing the Buddhist robe means having his the Buddhist humility I think sitting on the Buddhist throne means having the Buddhist compassion there's three things humility compassion and something else And these are the metaphor of the the Buddhist robes his seat and something else I can't remember But I thought, well that's kind of nice you know there's the good qualities and that's an actual teaching, I guess is the point, because so much of it is to me not really useful teachings. It's more just and some of it's ridiculous. Like this this serpent princess, eight-year-old serpent princess, Naga princess, gives a gem to the Buddha. Which you know, why is the Buddha accepting gems in the first place? <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I don't know. I follow a tradition that is very strict about such things. The Buddha would not accept gems. and, and Anyway, it's all allegorical or whatever. Anyway, uh, she, she says, you see how quickly I gave him that gem? That's how quickly I'm going to become a Buddha. So this 8-year-old non-human girl, uh, after giving him the gem, in the snap of her fingers, becomes a Buddha. Uh, I mean that kind of thing that you know, just, what religion is this? I don't, I don't recognize it anymore. And you know, I mean, a lot of it they would argue is just metaphorical or whatever. But metaphorical or not, the teaching behind it is not my Buddhism. Yeah, you know, gone on and on and on about the Lotus Sutra. Probably not going to win me too many fans, but. I think it's important. It's important that we address this, especially because it's such a famous sutta, and I think, and I think, I guess I would like to have some dialogue with some people, because last time I talked about this, I got at least two people uh, commenting. One who was a really good friend of mine, Backmoon Ward, this is actually actual name, uh, and I didn't actually get back to him, but um, he said, it's actually not what you think, and if you study the Lotus Sutra in, deep, in depth it means it means something quite different, which I appreciate, but I think it's much more about how it's been interpreted than about what it was actually intended to do. Most people who study the Lotus Sutra now um, are in a totally different frame of thought than the original authors, and, and interpret it in ways that it I'm 90% sure it wasn't meant to be interpreted, or it wasn't expected to be interpreted. So, you know, whether that's valid or not, I guess that is valid. Well,
2: it does have a huge proliferation. You know, people really like to cite the Lotus, Lotus Sutra. And, you know, they're number one. Mm. And, you know, it, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I, I don't really, <laughs> I
0: don't appreciate it very much, but... Yeah, I mean, if you study if if you study the Theravada Buddhist texts, you can't help but see the difference. Yeah, that that there's and, and they would say, well, yeah, because the, the Theravada Buddhist texts are inferior and they're just a limited teaching. And I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> I find them, you know, what we just studied tonight—that is a teaching that is practical and, and strong. And and you know, you said there's nothing more here, you know, so. This text is a lie, according to the Lotus Sutra. This text, which we just said, is is you know, it's a bald-faced lie that you can't get beyond that because he's telling Mogalana. They understand there's nothing more here. Na itataya, nothing further. And they say, well, actually, you know, they they may know that, but they're wrong. Guess what? They have to become a Buddha now. So anyway. probably should go. it way along. We've been here over an hour. So nice to meet you both. It's
1: Thank, Thank nice you for meeting you Monday.
0: And thanks everyone for tuning in. Have a good night. Good night.